welcome to the 24-week lecture series by Dr. Avraham Gileadi, Dreams, Visions, and Near-Death Experiences Compared to the End-Time Prophecy of Isaiah. This is Lecture 15, The Role of Ministering Angels. Tonight is uh, we're discussing the role of ministering angels, kind of juxtaposed with last week's lecture on the role or the operations of the evil spirits in the scriptures and our lives. So we'll jump right in with some quotes from Visions of Glory because when you analyze what's in this book, Visions of Glory by John Pontius, it's very similar to what you're getting from the scriptures. And there are just certain nuances that really clarify what the scriptures are saying, which is to me is a wonderful thing. So he says, I realized that our agency is always honored. Everything works with agency right from the beginning, even in the pre-mortal life. So much so that even though there are good angels around us, we still have to invite their intervention. We invite them to assist us by prayer, by having hope, by feeling faith and belief. Even the words we may think quietly or speak to ourselves, even these matter. So in other words, we're opening this door to the possibility of being assisted by the angels or by the Holy Spirit that is ministered through the angels. Every time God becomes involved in our lives, he is teaching and bringing to pass our eternal life. When Father answers our prayers, he does through the angels because the angels also grow. They learn what it is like to be like God, to serve and relay God's answers to his children's prayers. I find that very interesting because they become very much aware of all the ins and outs of life on earth and what it's like. Maybe they're in a preparatory stage for coming to the earth, and so what they do by ministering to us conditions them in a way to be able to handle those mortal experiences better. This process is extremely orderly and divinely orchestrated. There is no happenstance or coincidence in their work. The good angels are subject to his command and limited or empowered by our faith. So they can't go beyond what we allow them to do. But when we allow them, then that that empowers them and we can accomplish more with their help. Alma 32, Behold, I say unto you, and I would that you should remember that God is merciful unto all who believe in his name. Therefore he desireth in the first place that you should believe, yea, even on his word. So there we have believing on his name in parallel with believing on his word. His name... He has many names, and each of the names of God, and as we have discussed, signifies some kind of attributes, some divine attributes that he has that should give us confidence in him because, as we'll see in our last lecture next week, we'll discuss all the attributes of God, and his name, those attributes are kind of personified in his name. So believing in his name and believing on his word, what he stands for, what he has said, what he reveals, is basically synonymous. That's why it appears here in parallel. And now he imparted his word by angels unto men, yea, not only men, but women also. Now this is not all. Little children do have words given unto them many times, which confound the wise and the learned. Why do you think that is? Why do you think little children? Because they're more pure and they're more susceptible to things of the spirit when they are and we, when we don't thwart them by our conditioning effect. 
which, which you tend to do, such as by exercising unrighteous dominion over them. Matthew 18, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. So these little children, I think it was Harold B. Lee used to say, if we knew who our children were, we would worship them. Because it seems to be that every generation is more talented, more choice, more advanced than the one before it. So rather than looking down on our children, we should probably look up to them, although we ought to discipline them, of course. Otherwise, we could ruin their lives. But in heaven, the angels behold the face of my Father who is in heaven, so that gives them direct access to God and also knowing how to minister to these children. And it's the same with us. They minister to us also, but we tend to get out of tune from that direct channel, and so as we get older, we have to work at it harder, it seems, because our bodies are dragging us in one direction opposite to that of the Spirit. DNC 129. There are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely angels who are resurrected personages, having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see it, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect, for they who are not resurrected but inherit the same glory. Now he's talking about two kinds of heavenly beings. I would say that he's talking about two kinds of celestial beings, celestial angels, not just anybody. On, say, terrestrial, he's not talking about terrestrials or telestials. When a messenger comes saying he has a message from God that will be from the celestial kingdom, because I don't think anybody below the celestial kingdom would come as a messenger to you directly from God. If he be an angel, he will do so, and you will feel his hand. If he be the spirit of a just man made perfect, you see, these are celestial people, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you, but he will not move. That is, a spirit will not move, because it's contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive. But he will still deliver his message. If it be a devil as an angel of light, so an imposter or an impersonator or a shapeshifter, whatever you want to call them, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand because he's subject to you. And so he has to obey what you tell him. But you will not feel anything. You may therefore detect him. Now this is very clever. And Satan's very clever. So you always really need to check because so many people believe that they've been inspired to do a certain thing. And the inspiration's likely, when they do bizarre things, coming from the other side. These are the three grand keys whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. So let's be careful, because the further you progress, the more these manifestations come. You see that in the scriptures, because angels appear directly to people on an elect level just men made perfect. But even they can be tempted or can be not deceived necessarily, but if you're on a level less than elect level, then the chances are greater of you being deceived. And they often just throw you for a loop when these things happen. You wonder, is it real? Or is this just an imposter or an impersonator? And Satan is so clever, he comes in many guises. 
And this is angels can dissemble themselves in one form or another, as we'll get into in a moment, so can they. Hebrews 13, Paul. Don't be unmindful of hosting strangers, for in so doing, some have hosted angels unawares. And this is taught in Judaism a lot, that on, at Passover night, a chair is left open for Elijah the prophet, but he may come in the guise of an old man collecting, you know, wanting alms at the door, or some homeless person, and depending on how you treat him, this is one of his personas, you know, then you, you either pass the test, it's a test for you, see if you'll, ex- it's called tzedakah, or if you'll exercise charity, and do a mitzvah, or keep the commandment of giving, hosting the poor, or, or not, or turning them away. And, you know, this may not have happened to you in the past, but I suspect it may, because the Lord tries us unawares very often. And now that we're living in the end time, or practically, I think once these blood moons are over, we're there. These four blood moons that are, there's one this month, next month, and one in September. I would say we're there. All the other things seem to be lining up for Isaiah's end time scenario and that of Revelation, Book of Revelation, to be fulfilled. And a lot of the players are already in place. DNC 130. In answer to the question, is not the reckoning of God's time, angels' time, prophets' time, and man's time, according to the planet on which they reside? In other words, there's more than one planet. That's the implication here. I answer yes, but there are no angels who minister to this earth, but those who belong to it or who have belonged to it. That's a comforting thing. Now, it doesn't say that there are no devils from elsewhere, from other earths or other planets. It doesn't say that. In fact, if you go on YouTube and look at these subhuman or peoples that have been photographed everywhere, all over the world, these humanoids, they seem to be becoming more and more prevalent now and ingratiating themselves into our planet. And as we mentioned before, the Lord actually mentions them, Isaiah mentions them, and they too, along with the evil rulers of the world and others, will be put in prisons where they can do no more harm. In the winding up scene, when the wicked are destroyed, they will be destroyed with them, or locked up at least. The angels who do not reside on a planet like this earth, but they reside in the presence of God on a globe like a sea of glass and fire, because that's the celestial kingdom, where all things for their glory are manifest, past, present, future. So this is not paradise. The millennial glory is a paradisical glory, but at the end of the millennium, the earth will become a sea of glass. The earth now becomes a terrestrial earth the millennium and then a celestial earth at the end of the millennium. So all the celestials, in other words, will have to go before the coming of Christ. And then before the earth is celestialized, all the terrestrials that remain will have to go somewhere else. Where all things for their glory for their glory are manifest, past, present, and future. So past, present, and future are there all one. And those who've had near death experiences on the higher spiritual levels 
they see those things just like that. Past, present, the future, they see it all. They simply have to focus their minds on it and they see it all in its greatest details. And are continually before the Lord. Many of these things that we're learning here from these scriptures are in visions of glory. And there it's manifested in practical terms, which is, I think, a great gift from God. We ought to be thankful for it. The place where God resides is the great Urim and Thummim. Urim and Thummim is where you can tell everything. The insides and outs of everything. Every tiniest detail, every molecule, every atom. The tiniest particles, the forest, the trees, the past, present, future. All that is of God. DNC 76. Again, how the angels minister the Holy Spirit. These are they who receive not of his fullness, speaking of telestial people in that context, in the eternal world, but are of the Holy Spirit through the ministering of the terrestrial and the terrestrial through the ministration of the celestial. We've quoted this before, but in context here, we see that it's the angels who are ministering the Spirit, and also the celestial receive it of the ministering of angels who are appointed to minister for them, or who are appointed to be ministering spirits for them, for they shall be heirs of salvation. The telestials will be heirs of salvation. If at the end of their thousand years they have progressed sufficiently, they too can be heirs of salvation, meaning they can be forgiven of their sins and inherit a terrestrial glory, but not a celestial one. It says right here, they will be heirs of salvation. That's not damnation. Second Nephi 32. These are some of Nephi's last words in the Book of Mormon. Do you not remember that I said unto you that after you had received the Holy Ghost, you could speak with the tongue of angels? And now, how could you speak with the tongue of angels, save it be by the Holy Ghost? So the angels themselves are speaking, whatever they say or communicate is by the Holy Spirit. They cannot do otherwise. Otherwise, they would not be appointed to that role, because there... The Holy Spirit is manifest everywhere. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ, which are the words of truth and life and light. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Where do we find the words of Christ now? Yes, we receive them by the Holy Ghost, but they're in the Scriptures. All of the standard works contain the words of Christ, basically. There's his, even the histories, the biographical materials. There are patterns of the way God deals with his people. They're all relevant to us. And they're a gift to us to put to use and to learn from, to assimilate and to apply in our lives. So they become a part of us, and we become a part of them. So we begin to personify the word of God. This as Jesus personifies the word. In the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus also said, I am the law. So we too can begin to personify his Word and his law. And they will tell us all things what we should do. So, yeah, they're a complete guide to our lives here in mortality. Right? Wherefore, now after I've spoken these words... If you cannot understand them, it will be because you ask not, neither do you knock. Okay, so remember how Laman and Lemuel did not ask about Lehi's vision? And Nephi said, 
How is it that you harden your hearts and that, you know, that you will not ask? So his definition, as we've discussed here, of hardening the heart is not to ask, not to inquire, not to inquire of God. So the difference between feasting upon the words of Christ in the scriptures and going to the next level, a terrestrial level, is getting the Holy Ghost. But we won't if we don't open ourselves up to it. So he says, if you cannot understand them, because you need the Holy Ghost to understand them, the words of Scripture. Holy men of old spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Peter. The things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Paul. So we have to have the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. There's no other way. And to understand the things of God, we have to be keeping His commandments. We will do and we will hear. After many days, an angel came to Adam after he'd offered sacrifice and had been obedient. Then he learned the plan of salvation. So we have to understand them by applying them in our lives, and then we can get the Holy Ghost. If you cannot understand them, it'll be because you ask not, neither do you knock, which is an active thing. It's a pro proactive thing. We have to ask, knock, search, and then we'll get the answers. Wherefore, you're not brought into the light, but must perish in the dark, because it's not enough just to have the words of Christ. The Zoramites had them. We have to go to the next level. That's what they're there for. For behold, I say unto you again, that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy Ghost, so the narrow way of light and truth, it will show you all things what you should do. So all things that you, what you should do it's now on a higher level because now you're being guided by the Holy Ghost. Right? Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ, and there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. So now we go from the written word, the Holy Ghost, and now Christ in the flesh himself. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you shall you observe to do. So each time it's a higher law, from one level to the next to the next. And that's where it's meant to go. That's where it should all be heading. And if we're, if we're stuck somewhere in this progression, we should keep going and do what it takes to get there. Back to visions of glory. There were other spirits there. This is when he sees a place where people are dying in the hospital, who had embraced their altered state... In other words, they're, they're out of their bodies and had entered into God's employ to do his work according to his will. These angels had been sent back by God to assist their loved ones through this difficult time while of their death and of their illness in the hospital. These angels had a recognizable glow about them which told me instantly that they were good because he saw the others that were not good. They had no glow. They were dark and on an errand from God. These good angels were dressed differently. Some angels wore robes, while others wore old-fashioned clothing typical of when they had lived on the earth. So there are pre-mortal angels and there are post-mortal angels who are ministering on the earth. He makes a big point that these are usually ancestors. They were there to assist the mortals with things that were happening. Some were sent to assist and prepare mortals for their death, 
They were speaking comforting words, giving instructions and teaching mortals. Even though the mortals seemed unaware of their helpers, if they were listening with their hearts, they were comforted. They began to glow the same as the angels who were assisting them. You know, you often feel comforted in the spirit. You wonder where does that coming from? Well, it's coming from them. It's not just you. And when you respond to that, then you're kind of vibrating on the same wavelength. I know now that there are definitely classes of angels and levels of righteousness among the angels. Well, of course. It's here and it's there the same. Telestials, terrestrials, and celestials. And different degrees within each. I saw the angels of light, of light who were assisting us or assigned to us. They are very real. They have direct access to Christ's guidance and are anxiously engaged in our lives. Anxiously engaged, eh? That's also scripture that we should be anxiously engaged in the cause of Christ, right? And constantly, not just when it suits us. Because they're constantly engaged. They remain with us throughout our lives unless we choose darkness by our thoughts, acts, or words. Our thoughts can do it, our acts can do it, and our words can do it. It pushes them away. Their ability to direct, influence, and guide us is completely controlled by our choices. Free agency is always at work. Was before, now is, and always will be. There are also more powerful angels of light who are assigned by Christ to bless us in certain times of need. So in other words, these angels are on a higher level than regular angels, ones assisting us. And I dare say, as you progress spiritually, there's often a change of guard. Higher ones are sent to, you, to minister to you because, because if you become a, a terrestrial person, then you're being ministered to by celestial angels. And if you're a telestial person, you're ministered to by terrestrial angels as we read in that scripture from DNC 76. And when you become a celestial person, Christ ministers to you. And when you reach, reach the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, the Father ministers to you. And in Isaiah, I call that a paradigmatic hierarchy. There's a hierarchy of those who minister to levels lower, and by doing so, by ministering to levels lower, it lifts them up to higher levels. And also, they themselves, through that ministry, attain higher spiritual levels. So everybody's going up the ladder by degrees. And that's God's plan. And it's an all one big family helping each other of God's children. It's the most beautiful thing you could think of. I mean, try to do something better, I don't think. I don't think you could come up with anything. Some angels have greater abilities because of their greater diligence. The heed and diligence, and heed means you know, it's the opposite of heedless, right? And we go through life so heedless spiritually. We just assume so many things. To prepare for those things that are coming, we really have to be paying heed all the time, 24-7. We cannot be in some other space and think we're, we're going to end up in a good place. Not now. Because of their greater righteousness while they were mortals. Greater righteousness, not our self-righteousness, as I mentioned before, but the righteousness by God's definition, which involves keeping his commandments and things like searching the words of Isaiah, which is a commandment, right? And when you tell people that, it's like, searching Isaiah is a commandment? 
Oh, no, it's too impossible. All, all these conditioning effects of it being too hard. I talked to somebody in Costco the other day. And he, he was in a stake presidency in my own state. And he was my home teacher, too. And will he ever search Isaiah? No, he just assumes it's too hard. The fact that it's a commandment doesn't seem to mean anything to him. And I try to talk him into it, and he just, no, he just can't reach his walls. He cannot penetrate those walls. And yet he's a good man. <laughs> Classic example. Some angels are learning, while others are very accomplished. Some have great faith, while others are of less faith. Well, where is the optimum environment for learning to exercise faith and to learn truths and to apply them? Where is the optimum environment, for goodness sake? Right here. So while you're in it, take advantage of it. Take advantage of it, because this is as good as it gets for spiritual progress. And where is the best point to start from? Where are you at right now, right? Because it can only get better if you continue. But Satan would have us give up. It's too hard, or God doesn't notice me, or whatever. No. He's in the tiniest details of our lives. He wants you to succeed. He's willing to give you all that he has, all that he can reveal, all truth, as Prophet Joseph said, as soon as you're willing to receive it. He's waiting for you, not you waiting for him. So, yeah, of course, some are more accomplished. Alma 13. Alma 12 and 13. DNC 7. Here's an example. And the Lord said unto me, John, my beloved. Now, the beloved is a category of spirits on a, not just elect level, but of translated level. Those who have gone to not just make sure their callings and elections, but receive the spirit and power of Elijah, power over the elements, the sealing power, they are called beloved. We see that with John the Beloved, the three beloved disciples of the Nephites called beloved. Abraham is called the beloved, others also. Now, wouldn't you want to be beloved of Christ? What are you waiting for? What desirest thou? Because he says, if you will ask what you will, it shall be granted unto you. Remember Nephi, the son of Helaman? Whatever he asked for, the Lord would give him too, because he was on a translated level. The Spirit took him from place to place. And he could pray for a famine, he could pray for a drought, pray for the rain, just like Elijah, the same thing. And it says of him, Nephi the son of Helaman, that the Lord knew that he would not ask for anything improper, because he had reached that spiritual level where he had in mind only the highest good in any given situation. So here again, Jesus asks what you will, but it has that qualification that's implied because he knows that John is on that level. He's not going to ask anything to consume on his lusts or for his personal aggrandizement or anything like that. And I said to him, Lord, give unto me power over death because Jesus calls him my beloved in anticipation of that, that I may live and bring souls unto thee. And the Lord said unto me, Verily, verily, achen, achen, yes, yes, absolutely, I say unto thee, it's a promise, an unconditional promise, 
Because thou desirest this, thou shalt tarry until I come in my glory, and shall prophesy before nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. Because the mission of people on the seraph level, translated beings, is always international. The three Nephites. Oh, that I were an angel, Alma, the younger, and could have the wish of mine heart to preach the gospel to every creature. It's always an international The three Nephites. They will be among the house of Israel, among the Gentiles, and yeah. Elijah. Elijah didn't, was not just a prophet to Israel, he's a prophet to other nations as well. Read Kings. And for this cause the Lord said unto Peter, If I will that he tarry until I come, what is that to thee? For he desireth of me that he might bring souls unto me, but thou desirest that thou mightest speedily come unto me in my kingdom. Well, that was what the nine Nephites requested also, right? So they got their desire. Uh, after they lived to the age of the good old age of a man, 72. But they, they went to his kingdom, but the three Nephites went to the Father's kingdom. And so it is here. Well, does that mean that the nine of it ended up there forever, or that Peter ends up there forever? doesn't say that, does it? But in the interim, at least, that's where they go. We cannot judge anybody, because Peter, James, and John are together on that higher level now. I say unto thee, Peter, this was a good desire of his and of the nine Nephites, but my beloved has desired that he might do more or a greater work yet among men than what he has done before. Now, the word greater work is like the great and marvelous work because the word great and, and work are two words they have in common with the great and marvelous work. And what is the great and marvelous work by definition in the Book of Mormon? It is the restoration of the house of Israel, Jews, ten tribes, and Lamanites of today, and any other ethnic Israelites that are out there. If not, the restoration of the gospel and the priesthood through the prophet Joseph Smith, not by the Book of Mormon definition when you analyze it. It's a precept of men or a popular idea that has no scriptural basis that it is the gospel and the priesthood. Check it out. So, that he might do more or a greater work. So that means that John is going to be involved in that restoration of the house of Israel, as will the three Nephites, as will all translated beings. Yea, he has undertaken a greater work, therefore I will make him as a flaming fire and ministering angel, and he shall minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation who dwell on the earth. So he's been around a long time, hasn't he? How would you like that for, what, more than 2,000 years now, he's been coming around us incognito, likely, in one of his personas, who knows, like a little child. Let's look at what Spencer says about it in a minute. In fact, there's a quote from Psalms 104, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers, a flaming fire. And there it says it, that I will make him as a flaming fire. And that is the definition of translated beings. They, live, they dwell amidst everlasting burnings, like the Father, in the Father's kingdom. So this is a certain category of angels, not all angels. DNC 132. If a man marry him a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me or by my word, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world, until death do us part, and she with him, their covenant of the marriage 
are not a force when they are dead and when they're out of the world. Therefore, they are not bound by any law when they're out of the world. They're completely on their own after that. Unless, what? Unless we do work for them, proxy work in the temples today. Therefore, when they're out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. Those are the elect of God and translated beings. For these angels did not abide my law, therefore they cannot be enlarged, but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their safe condition that's in a terrestrial state. Assuming they are righteous or have repented of their sins and the atonement of Christ covers their sins and they receive a remission of their sins, then they're in a saved state. No longer in a lost and fallen state, which is a terrestrial state. In their saved state, that's where little children go who would die before the age of accountability. They go back to God in their saved state. To all eternity and from thenceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. Well, forever and ever is also has qualified in the scriptures. If they had been worthy and they lived and are qualified for sealings in the eternal worlds, then yes, things change. But this is based on the common idea, the common bottom line, so to speak, of how God judges those who choose not to marry for time and for eternity. DNC 132 again. Then they shall be gods. This is speaking of the elect of God and levels higher because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue. Well, their lives continue. Eternal lives. Then shall they be above all because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods because they have all power and the angels are subject unto them. So all lower levels to them are subject to them. That's why those in the celestial world, independent of every creature, below them. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you by my law, you cannot attain this glory. So at some point, we're going to have to buy this law. And this section of the Doctrine and Covenants is talking about plural marriage, which today in our church is prohibited. We can be excommunicated when we do that but we're judged on our hearts. And if we would, we could, so forth. And so, it's the same with God. He judges us on our words, thoughts, and ideas, our actions, but also what's in our hearts to do. And so, these things are always present with God. For straight is the gate and narrow the way that leadeth unto the exaltation and continuation of the lives, our own and our posterity's eternal lives as many as the stars of the heavens and of the sands of the sea from seashore from multitude, signifying a telestial posterity and a celestial posterity, a heavenly one. And few there be that find it. Straight is the way. This is from the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Few there be that find it. So you have to find it. And you know when you find it, but... There are very few of us that have found it or are finding it because of all the distractions of things of the world that take our hearts away 
from it. And then when we do find it, we have to focus on it and give it 100%. Love God with all our hearts, mind, mind, and strength, because nothing less will get us there. Because you receive me not in the world, neither do you know me. So the ultimate goal is to know him, that is face to face, when he manifests himself unto us, when we attain that degree of just man made perfect, of the celestial kingdom. He will come to us. He will manifest himself to us. He will make sure our calling is elections as soon as we qualify ourselves for it. He will keep his word. We have to search, knock, and ask. And always be in that searching, knocking, and asking mode. Otherwise, how can we receive him? We're not, it's like receive the Holy Ghost. Right? We have to actually practice receiving it and be opening to the reception of the Holy Ghost. And so with him, we have to be open and receptive to his coming to us, to his being the end all and the summation of all in our lives. But if you receive me in the world, then shall you know me. There is his promise. And you shall receive your exaltation, that's the celestial glory, that where I am, you shall also be. Like Peter, like the nine Nephites. This is eternal lives. In Hebrew, the word life, eternal life, is actually a plural word, chaim. Lachaim, right? To life, to life. Lachaim. Fiddler on the roof. Well, to life, to lives. To lives, to lives, to lives. Eternal lives. This is what it is. To know the only wise and true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Wise? What's that got to do with it? Because through his wisdom he gets you there and leads you through and guides you. Because man's wisdom is nothing compared to his. If you trust in your own wisdom, you'll not get there. And true God, because there are also false gods that are pulling you every which way, in every direction. And Jesus Christ, the Savior, who's the gate, whom he has sent, commissioned, empowered. I am he, receive you therefore my law. DNC 132. Biblical Ministries of Angels. Now I've pulled out some scriptures, not all of them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon. Just some that kind of give an insight into how God deals with man or his children on the earth. Men and women, brothers and sisters, males and females. Because whatever he's done in the past, he can and does again. It reveals a pattern. I give you a pattern in all things, he says. And by those patterns of how he deals with them, we know what we can expect. And we must not assume, oh, that he wouldn't do that with us. Of course he does. He's no respecter of persons. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not do for them what he'll not do for us, and vice versa. Genesis 18. God appeared to Abraham in the plains of Mamre as he sat on his tent door in the heat of the day. Well, you know, the heat of the day gets pretty hot over there. 140, 120 in the shade in the Jordan Valley when I was in the banana plantation cutting bananas. And when the sharab comes, watch out, it gets really hot. And he raises his eyes, of course it's classic Abraham. Remember Nibley's video, Faith of an Observer? Abraham is there in his tent 
And whenever he sees anybody coming from any direction, he welcomes him and stands and gives him of his hospitality. And this is very common among Muslims over there. I've gone to villages, and same in the Pacific Islands. The first person will just welcome you and do everything for you as if you were an old friend, a long-lost brother. And during the Sharab, when limited vision is there, because it's like a dust storm, Abraham sends out Eliezer, his servant, go and look out and see if there's anybody out there, because he's getting old by now. You go and look, see if there's anybody out there that's lost that can welcome him in his tent and comfort him and give him some refreshments. So he raised his eyes, he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the ground. And this was etiquette in those days. This was protocol. In that culture, you see it also among Polynesians. The great respect they have for each other. They give deference. When you meet somebody, there's formal introductions. They go on and on sometimes. And it's all designed to honor your neighbor. And said, my lord, if I have now found favor in your eyes, I implore you not to pass on from your servant. Your servant? Yeah, because I'm at your service. I'm willing to be your servant. I beg you, let a little water be fetched. Then wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree in the shade while I get a morsel of food. This is in a desert area. Comfort yourselves. After that, pass on. Isn't that why you've come to your servant? How could they say no to that, right? And they said, do as you've said. And Abraham hurried to Sarah in the tent and said, quick, prepare three measures of fine meal, not four, not five, not one for Abraham, and make, it, make buns on the earth, on the hearth. Then Abraham ran to the herd and got a calf. You know, that happened to me in an Arab village one time, but because the head of the family was not there, they didn't kill the calf, they just killed the chicken because they couldn't do it without his permission. And Abraham ran to the herd and got a calf, one tender and good, not just the one that needed culling, and gave it to a young man who hurried to dress it, and took butter and milk and the calf he had dressed and set them before them. So this must have taken, what, an hour or so at least, two hours. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. They ate? Angels ate? Three men. Yeah, they were the angels that calls them angels in the same account. The angels who came down because of the wickedness of Sodom. And one of these was the Lord, Jehovah. Because the two others go on to Sodom and Gomorrah and talk to Lot and get him out of there. So one of them is Jehovah and he's eating? Think about what that implies. Right? I love the scriptures. so full of mysteries <laughs> Genesis 28 now Jacob Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran and he arrived at a certain place stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took stones from there to use as a pillow and lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamt and saw a ladder set up to heaven on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and upon it were angels of God ascending and descending. Well, we saw that in section 76, celestial terrestrial tiras. So, of course, 
the ones issue commands to the ones below, and they issue, and they minister to you. And he saw Jehovah standing above it, at the top. So he was over the whole ladder. So he was giving the commands up there. Who said, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Now this means a whole lot because Abraham and Isaac, his father and grandfather, are high priests after the holy order of God, as we see from other scriptures. And so... What is he saying to Jacob in effect? He's either on that level, close to it, or he's almost there, to the level of his ancestors. And ever since Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, God's entire quest by giving us the Sinai covenant and all the other covenants, the Davidic covenant, the Levitical covenant, all those covenants of the Lord are pointed to us attaining the level of ourselves, God's children, and descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, attaining the level of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All those covenants are stepping stones to get us there, the level they were at, on that highest spiritual level. And we have to get there by going up the ladder through these steps, level by level. Descent, ascent. Descent, an even greater descent, then a higher ascent. And then an even greater descent, and then an even higher ascent. And then Christ descended below all in his descent phase as he fulfilled God's law on his level and attained the highest spiritual level, the throne of his Father. So think about that. If ever you want to become a heavenly father or a heavenly mother. Genesis 32. Jacob again another occasion when Jacob was left alone there wrestled a man with him an angel until daybreak this is during the night and when the man that is the angel saw that he didn't succeed against him he touched the hollow of his thigh so this is a very physical wrestling match maybe that's why the prophet Joseph Smith liked wrestling <laughs> he had a great wrestle too didn't he so that the hollow of Jacob's thigh was put out of joint while he was wrestling with him. So the angel could do that because he had power over the elements. But Jacob is also powerful at this point in time. And the man said, let me go for the day is breaking. And Jacob said, because Jacob knew who he was, knew what caliber of angel he was, not just like lower angels, but like the one Spencer said on the higher level, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wanted a blessing. And whenever you encounter somebody, don't forget to ask for the blessing because they're there to bring you a blessing. If you don't ask for it, you may miss the opportunity. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man or the angel said, your name will no more be Jacob, but Israel. Israel, meaning he's ruling with God. For as a prince, you've had power with God and with men and you have succeeded or you have overcome or you have prospered or you have reached the next level attained the next spiritual level therefore you get a new name because every spiritual level that you ascend to you receive a new name not just one level and that should tell you things about what we were reading earlier because think of the temple endowment and what the names are there think of that and all that that implies. 
And Jacob said, tell me, I beg you, your name. And the man said, why do you inquire after my name? Well, when you ask their name, what are they going to say? No, I can't reveal it. It's sacred, right? Because if you tell them your name, then you have power over them. If they give you your name, then you can have power over them. So it's your keyword. When you exercise the use of the name, then you are empowered to a certain, perform a certain task or role. It represents something. Everything that you are in that persona, like the names of God. And the man said, why do you cry after my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peneel, because he said, I've seen God face to face. Panim was Pene, El is God, Peneel is the, the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. Because he knew in the tradition that when higher angels or the Lord God appears to you, you may die in his presence if you're not worthy thereof. So this again tells you that Jacob, now Israel, has attained that next highest spiritual level. And this is from Exodus 14. Another angel ministering. The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. So this too is a person on a translated level because he has power, he has international power. He's ministering to Israel, but he's also preventing the Egyptians and protecting Israel. The pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind them and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud of darkness to them, but it gave light to these, so that the one did not come near the other all night long. And that's power over the elements, which translated beings have. So it makes you wonder who the angel of God is that's spoken of, doesn't it? He appears again in Isaiah 51, verses 9 through 11, which kind of tells you who it is. Judges 13. Uh, this is a wonderful little story from the Old Testament about the ministering of an angel. Again, consistent with other scriptures and consistent with Spencer's vision in the visions of glory, as we'll see in a moment. There was a certain man of Zorach, of the lineage of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and hadn't born a child. And the angel of Jehovah appeared to the woman and said to her, See now, you are barren and aren't bearing children but you will conceive and bear a son. Now take heed, and I adjure you, to drink no wine or strong drink, and to eat nothing unclean. For indeed, you will conceive and bear a son, but no razor must come upon his head, for the child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Well, you go to Numbers chapter 6, I think it is, and you have there given the law of the Nazarite. They don't come near the dead, they eat nothing of the grapes, and they do not cut their hair. We have an, a Latter-day Nazarite, too. Who was that? Porter Aqua, yeah, guard of the Prophet Joseph. One we know about, right? I had a Nazarite vow for six years. I cut my hair just before I... It's a vow of consecration, and I cut my hair eight days before. I had a beard down here <laughs> by that time. And I cut my hair eight days before going to the temple for my endowments because that's a higher law of consecration and that's what Nazarites did in the New Testament time Paul uh, had ministered to, to some who were Nazarites 
and they cut their hair and offered sacrifice in the temple, and then assumed a higher law. The child will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband and said, A man of God came to me, and his face was like the face of an angel of God. Very awesome. And I didn't ask him where he was from, nor did he tell me his name. Well, of course he's not going to tell you his name. And she didn't want to be rude. It's not her prerogative, I guess. But he said to me, See, you will conceive and bear a son, so now drink no wine or liquor, nor eat anything unclean, for the child will be Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah besought Jehovah and said, O my Lord, let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we must do for the child will be born. This is a huge deal for these old folk because now they're going to have a child and they're in their old age. Their whole lives will be changed. And God heard the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. Why not to him? What does that tell you? <laughs> it's obvious, isn't it? But Manoah, her husband, wasn't with her. And the woman hurried and ran to inform her husband and said to him, See, the man of God who came to me that day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose up and followed his wife, aha, and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man that talked with my wife? He said, I am. Then Manoah said, May your words indeed come to pass. How should we deal with the child and what we should do for him? Then the angels of Jehovah said to Manoah, Concerning everything I said to the woman, let her be circumspect. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor let her drink wine or liquor or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Now most of the time in the scriptures, you see the men are commanded, and the woman follows suit. But here, it's directly to the woman. So it seems to me that they were somewhat unequally yoked, as one might say. And the woman is carrying the day. And that's a type for our time, remember? All these are patterns for our day. So consider some possibilities there. Then Manoah said to the angel of Jehovah, I implore you, may we detain you until we have prepared a kid for you. See? The common charity. And the angel of Jehovah said to Manoah, Although you detain me, I will not eat of your food. Why wouldn't he? The three angels came to Abraham, did? They ate the calf and the other things, and the three meals of buns and bread. Because this person is a spirit. As the prophet Joseph Smith said, he can't eat physical food. I will not eat any food. And if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to Jehovah. For Manoah didn't know it was an angel of Jehovah. And Manoah said to the angel of Jehovah, What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of Jehovah said to him, Why do you ask after my name, as it is secret? Aha! All these names, these are the names that are given to them as they ascend spiritually, they're their own personal secret names, sacred names. So Manoah took a kid with a food offering and offered them on a rock to Jehovah. Then the angel performed a wonder while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it happened that as the flames from the altar ascended to heaven, the angel of Jehovah ascended in the flames of the altar. And as Manoah and his wife looked on, they fell face down on the ground. And the angel of Jehovah appeared no further to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that it was an angel of Jehovah. And Manoah said to his wife, We will surely die because we've seen God. You know, yeah, it's so awesome when you have these experiences that you do indeed think you've seen God. And in some cases you have seen God. 
but not in this case. Dean C37. We read this in connection with proxy salvation and the Davidic covenant in earlier lectures. But here, the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when men arose in the morning, there lay all their dead bodies and all the spoils of war that they had gathered from conquering the world. So the Israelites were enriched. And think of that as a type. When the armies were conquering the world in the end time, come with all their spoils of war with them because they covet those things, they can bring them around to you when the Lord makes an end of them. And then those things can be consecrated for beautifying Zion. But protection is part of the Lord's Davidic covenant. And he protects the city here. It says, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. The ancient David and the end time David. In this case, King Hezekiah's proxy role, historically. But it's also a prediction of the end time because the whole book of Isaiah is an end time scenario. And the historical typifies is a type and shadow of the end time or allegory of the end time. So all of these are patterns that we can learn from and expect to happen in our day. We should thoroughly immerse ourselves in them so that we can exercise faith that this is what the Lord is going to do in our day. No less. If we will put ourselves in the position that these things could be fulfilled when we're laid under siege by an end-time Assyrian host of 185,000 or 200 million, whatever it may be, Latter-day Armageddon, these things will repeat themselves. There are 30 such scenarios in Isaiah of ancient events repeating themselves in the end time. What has been shall be. Jesus gave us a key to Isaiah. All things that he spake have been, that's in his day, and shall be, that's in the end time. That is a Jewish approach for which I found the literary evidence in a literary structure in the book of Isaiah and other literary structures in my book, The Literary Message of Isaiah, which is back there. And there are other books of mine that do synopsis of those things, of the message of Isaiah. And talk about that. From Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, in this matter we are not circumspect in answering you, because they are extremely part of the court. And so, of course, they're going to be circumspect to the emperor of the Babylonian Empire, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which ruled the ancient world. But in this thing, they're not going to be circumspect. So they're priming the king for, hey, we're going to disagree with you this time. For it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace and deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, should always be a clause in our thinking too, because if the Lord is not going to deliver us, we may offer up our lives in certain situations, and that will be our test. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image you have set up. Because the king of Babylon made a decree that everybody in his image, I mean, should worship the image when they heard the trumpets blaring. Or in our day, maybe the sirens or something. And we have to bend down to the image of the beast on television or some crazy thing. Well, we're not going to do that, king. Even if you do the worst. Do your worst. Then Nebuchadnezzar grew full of rage and the expression on his face changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he commanded and said that they should heat the furnace seven times more than was normally heated. And he commanded the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, 
in Abednego and cast into the fiery burning furnace. Well, they did that to John the Revelator, they did that to the three Nephites, and the fires didn't touch them either. Then the three men were bound in their coats, raiments, hats, and apparel, were cast into the midst of the fiery burning furnace. Into the midst of it. And that was not easy because those guys that threw them in died doing so. And because of the king's command was pressing, the furnace being very hot, the flames from the fire slew those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the fiery burning furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up hurriedly and split to his counselors. Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered the king and said, Correct, O king. And they answered and said, There I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they aren't hurt, and the appearance of the fourth resembles the Son of God. So you remember the Book of Mormon story of the brothers, Nephi and Lehi? Same thing. An angel came among them and protected them. Do you believe that God could do this to you? I'm telling you, we can. And may, the time may come. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the mouth of the fiery burning furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now he's getting it. Come out, come. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And this is not just like walking through a fiery pit like in Fiji or somewhere where they do that kind of thing. This is a whole different scenario. And the princes, governors, the captains, and the king's counselors who were gathered together saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor their clothing different, nor was the odor of the fire upon them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, who changed the king's word, and who yielded up their bodies, that they might not serve or worship any god but their own. They changed the king's word. They yielded up their bodies. They were ready to die, like Abraham on that altar, when the Lord spared his life, and an angel of God intervened to deliver him. Same here. Remember, this reminds me of Jesus saying, O ye of little faith. It's a lament, O ye of little faith. If we could exercise our faith to the degree that these things, we just know. We just know that the Lord can do this for us. And then we can be emboldened to stand up to any opposition, to any ruse, any conspiracy, any body. Acts 12. You'll see the oppressors are always at work, aren't they? Especially when it comes to the elect of God. Satan finds a way to track him down and give them a hard time. About that time, King Herod put forth his hands to harass certain persons in the church. But the church was in its infancy, kind of like the time of Joseph Smith, when the gospel had been restored. That is when Satan did his worst to try to destroy the church in its infancy, because he knew that it could get out of hand, so to speak. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, the non-believers, he proceeded to take Peter also. This occurred in the days of the unleavened bread, time of Passover, the eight days of unleavened bread. And when he had arrested him, he put him in prison 
and delivered him to four contingents of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Because he knew that if he didn't put proper guard, they could break in or angels could come. So he's going to make sure and rely on this arm of flesh to keep Peter totally under lock and key. And while for that intent Peter was kept in prison, continuous prayer was made for him by the church. And the same night that Herod was to bring him out, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers while guards in front of the door watching the prison. Then the angel of the Lord came over him and the light lit up the prison. While the prison guards didn't see it, the soldiers didn't see it, came over him. So he was coming above him and he was lying like face up. And he nudged Peter on his side and raised him up and said, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your garment around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Yet he didn't know that what was being done by the angel was real, as he thought he was seeing a vision or a dream. And when they had passed the first and second wardens, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened for them of its own accord. You see this angel obviously has power over the elements, right? One of those, one of the translated beings or on that level. And after that, the angel left him. And Peter came to himself. He said, Now I know for sure that the Lord had sent the angel and delivered me out of the hand of Herod and what all the people of the Jews were hoping for. And when he realized this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Consider this as a pattern for our day. To whom it was assigned to die was James, the brother of John. Well, John himself is still around. And Peter was going to be, eventually he was, but it was not his time. And how did he get out of there? Because the church was praying for him. And without those prayers, he might not have got out either. So the time will come when we must exercise that kind of faith that one of our brethren, one of our kind, who's taken prisoner, must somehow also escape being killed. Think about it. These stories are amazing to me. It shows God working in history, God working in his dealings with us. Because we're no different than those people in that day are. We're all human. We tend to put them on a pedestal, but no, they were just ordinary men and women. We have to think that we're capable of these same things, especially in our day. We're living in the time we're going to go through similar motions as those people went through. Revelation 19. This is the angel speaking to John. He said to me, These are true sayings of God, which he had just been telling. And I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, No, not so. I'm your fellow servant of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So this may have been an angel coming in his glory, as the prophet Joseph Smith said, because he was such a glorified being that John thought he was God or a God. But he's simply one of the brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Well, yes, who have applied the testimony of Jesus in their lives and raised to that level of glory. So now we go on to Book of Mormon Ministries of Angels, Mosiah 27. This Alma the Younger and the sons of Mosiah came to pass that while he was going about to destroy the church of God, for he did so go about secretly with the sons of Mosiah, 
seeking to destroy the church, to lead astray the people of the Lord, contrary to the commandments of God, or even the king. And as I said unto you, as they were going about rebelling against God, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And he descended as it were in a cloud, and he spake as it were with the voice of thunder, which caused the earth to shake upon which they stood. That angel too was on a translated level, or seraph level, whether he was on the earth or, or in heaven, it doesn't matter, because he had power over the elements. And so great was their astonishment that they fell to the earth and understood not the words which he spake unto them. Nevertheless, he cried again, saying, Alma, arise and stand forth, for why persecutest thou the church of God? For the Lord hath said, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it, save it be the transgressions of my people. Now, why would this be relevant to us today? Well, very obviously, there are people going around secretly to destroy the church today, right? They have animosity, they're apostate. They leave the church, but they can't leave it alone, as someone said. And so, through the prayers again, like of the church, or the, as we saw in Peter's case, through the prayers of Alma the elder and the king and others on their behalf, an angel intervened in their lives. And that's on a high spiritual level. Only those on the level of seraphim can bring about that divine intervention. This is direct intervention, not indirect intervention. And again, the angel said, Behold, the Lord hath heard the prayers of his people and the prayer of the servant Alma, is thy father, for he has prayed with much faith concerning thee that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Now I would say the key word there is faith. Therefore, for this purpose have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God, that the prayers of his servants might be answered according to their faith. And now behold, can you dispute the power of God? For behold, does not my voice shake the earth? And can you also not behold me before you? And I am sent from God. And now I say unto you, Go and remember the captivity of thy fathers and that of Helam, because these kind of actions are leading to captivity. And you're going to go into captivity again if you follow this course. And the entire nation of the Nephites can go into captivity again. And in the land of Nephi, and remember how great things he has done for them. For they were in bondage, which is a covenant curse, from breaking the terms of the covenant, and he has delivered them. He delivered them when they did what it needed to be delivered. And now I say unto you, Alma, go thy way and seek to destroy the church of God no more, that their prayers may be answered, and this even if thou wilt of thyself be cast off. And it came to pass that these were the last words which the angel spake unto Alma, and he departed. And you know that those last words were the ones that really impacted Alma the, the younger. And this is another occasion when he's preaching to the people of Ammonahah, now, when the people had said this and withstood all his words, now this city of Ammonah was, Ammonihah, was, um, was the wickedest city probably among the Nephites. And they were about all apostates and perdition types. And reviled him and spit upon him and caused that he should be cast out of this city. And he departed thence and took his journey toward the city, which is called Aaron. He came to pass that while he was journeying thither, being weighed down with sorrow, wading through much tribulation and anguish of his soul because of the wickedness of the people who were in the city of Ammonia. So, in other words, he wasn't pitying himself. It wasn't his own sorrowing and waiting and anguish of soul. He was sorry for them because he knew what could have happened to them if the angel had not intervened. And now he was being an angel, as it were, to intervene in the city of Ammonia. 
Well, people who are doing the same thing have the same mindset as he had. It came to pass while Alma was thus weighed down with sorrow, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Blessed art thou, Alma. Now he's gone from curse to blessing because he's now laboring in the cause of Christ, to bring souls to Christ. Blessed art thou, Alma, therefore lift up thy head and rejoice. In other words, kind of an ascent phase after the descent phase. For thou hast great cause to rejoice. For thou hast been faithful in keeping the commandments of God from the time that thou receivest thy first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered it unto thee. So, and isn't that wonderful? That angel must have followed the path of Alma the Younger anxiously and seeing it come to fruition. So he was probably itching to go to Alma and tell him that, right? I would think so. Behold, I am sent to command thee that thou shalt return to the city of Ammonah and preach again to the people of the city. Yea, preach unto them. I say unto you, except they repent, the Lord will destroy them. In other words, covenant curse, because their iniquity is full. The Lord does not destroy a city like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, because the iniquity is full. And there were not enough righteous in the city to maintain it alive. For behold, they do study this time that they may destroy the liberty of the people. So not just spiritually corrupt, but political machinations either. Conspiracies. Ah, there's no conspiracies. How often do you hear that? Conspiracies are everywhere. But don't, like Isaiah says, or the Lord says to Isaiah, don't call everything a conspiracy. But fear the Lord. Don't feel the conspiracies. For thus saith the Lord, which is contrary to the statutes and judgments and commandments which is given unto his people, they should not destroy liberty because their governments were based on liberty, because their governments were of God, given of God, as ours is in this land. Now it came to pass that after Elm had received his message from the angel of the Lord, he returned speedily to the land of Ammonah, and he entered the city by another way, kind of like Samuel the Lamanite, right? By the way which is on the south of the city of Ammonah, probably not the busy thoroughfare that he entered the first time. And as he entered the city, he was hungered, and he said to a man, will you give to a humble servant of God something to eat? So he's going without personal script. The man said to him, I'm an Ephite, I know that thou art a holy prophet of God, for thou art the man, an angel said in a vision, thou shalt receive. Therefore go with me, into my house, and I will impart unto thee of my food, and I know that thou wilt be a blessing unto me in my house. So probably the same angel sent him back to the city, came to, who was that? Amulek. And came to pass that the man received him into his house, and the man was called Amulek, and he brought forth bread and meat. King James bread is always likely Hebrew food rather than actual bread by our terminology. Or perhaps meat is very often the same. Brought forth bread. So we're not quite sure what the Hebrew terms of this would be. But for bread and meat and set before Alma. And it came to pass that Alma ate bread and was filled. And he blessed Amulek in his house and gave thanks to God. That was often the case in the Old Testament. When you hosted somebody, they would leave a blessing on your house. So it was a good thing. It was give and take. And behold, I, Amulek, now this is Amulek speaking, because before, two chapters ago, Alma came back to the city, and now 
he's been with Amalek teaching him the gospel and now Amalek accompanies him in this mission to the city I Amalek am also a man of no small reputation among all those who know me yea and behold I have many kindreds and friends and I have also acquired much riches by the hand of my industry nevertheless after all this I have never known much of the ways of the Lord and his mysteries and marvelous power I said I had never known much of these things, but behold, I mistake, for I have seen much of his mystery and his marvelous power, yet even in the preservation of the lives of this people. Because now things are dawning on him, before he took things for granted, but now as Almanac begins explaining the gospel to him about how the people were in captivity and the Lord delivered them because they kept his commandments and so forth. Now he's beginning to see the big picture, see things as they really are, and the great peril that his city is in even in the preservation of the lives of this people. Nevertheless, I did harden my heart, for I was called many times, and I would not hear. Therefore I knew concerning these things, yet I would not know. Therefore I went rebelling against God in the wickedness of my heart, even until the fourth day of the seventh month, which is the tenth year of the reign of the judges. So he would not know. You remember when we discussed Second Nephi 28 about the precepts of men? There are those who simply will not go to the next... They don't want to know the truth. They would not know. They harden their hearts. They will not inquire. And where do they end up? In hell. They come into condemnation in this life and in the next because they had everything given to them, the gospel in all its fullness, if they would receive it. And they were happy with the lesser portion and with precepts of men, and pretty soon that which they had was taken away. And as I was journeying to see a very near kindred, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to me and said, Amulek, return to thine own house, and there shall feed, thou shalt feed a prophet of the Lord, a holy man, who is a chosen man of God, for he has fasted many days because of the sins of the people, because nobody gave him any crust of bread. So he was going on an empty stomach for many days, not to mention the journey on the way there. And he's a hunger, and thou shalt receive him into thy house and feed him, and he shall bless thee in thy house, and the blessing of the Lord shall rest upon thee in thy house. So Alma needed a period of time to recover too. And while he was recovering, he was teaching the household of, of Amulek. And it came to pass, I obeyed the voice of the angel and returned toward my house. And I was going thither, I found the man whom the angel said unto me, Thou shalt receive into thy house. And behold, it was the same man who had been speaking unto you concerning the things of God. So he didn't need to go searching for him here and there, every nook and cranny. It just happened by coincidence, right? And of course, there's no coincidence, so that's the way the Lord does things. And the angel said unto me, He's a holy man. So we know that Emma the Younger was by this time a sanctified person and on an elect level. Wherefore I know he's a holy man because it was said by an angel of God. And again, I know that the things whereof he has testified are true. And behold, I say unto you that as the Lord liveth, he's making an oath, even so hath he sent his angel to make these things manifest unto me. And this has he done while Alma has dwelt at my house. So, another witness. The angel is also a witness. Behold, he has blessed my house. He's blessed me and my women, my children, my father and my kinsfolk. Yea, even all my kindred has he blessed. And the blessing of the Lord has rested upon us according to the words which he spake. So at least there was one household in Ammonaha that could be converted. Kind of like Lot and Sodom. And this we're going to see as a pattern again in our day. 
we may be going to places as evil as the city, and if we're not empowered, we won't survive going in there. But we'll need to be sure that we are empowered so that these forces of evil and darkness cannot hurt us. And when we are, the Lord prepares the way before us, as he did with Alma and Amulet. Alma 12. It was appointed unto men that they must die, and after death they must come into judgment, even that same judgment which we have spoken, which is the end. And after God had appointed that these things should come unto man, behold, then he saw that it was expedient that man should know concerning the things whereof he had appointed unto them. Wherefore he sent angels to converse with them, who caused men to behold his glory. So the angels and their roles are very important because they bring us into God's presence. So when you're approaching the higher spiritual levels, this is going to be kind of common. This is nothing extraordinary at that point in time. And they began from that time forth to call upon his name. Therefore God conversed with men through the veil at first and indirectly and made known unto them the plan of redemption which had been prepared from the foundation of the world. This whole thing was prepared. This is all foreseen, all foreordained before he even came here. And this he has made known unto them according to their faith and repentance and their holy works. Because faith relies on works. Your works are an expression of your faith, right? And if you keep repenting, 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 no matter what spiritual level you're on, even on the high spiritual levels, then your faith grows stronger and your empowerment grows. So you can do holy works, even miracles. 3 Nephi 7. And here we see such a person. It came to pass that Nephi, having been visited by angels and also the voice of the Lord, therefore having seen angels and being eyewitness, having had power given unto him, that he might know concerning the ministry of Christ, and also being eyewitness to their quick return from righteousness unto their wickedness and abominations, the Nephites, therefore being grieved for the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds, went forth among them that same year and began to testify boldly repentance and remission of sins through faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, consider that it's not an easy thing to go into these communities of wickedness. Now, you're putting your life on the line, but you're willing to do so. Why? Because you're driven by this higher cause, and it is so part of you that you're willing to just lay it all on the altar and trust in God to bring you through it, but if not, then to take your life if that's what's meant to happen so your blood can testify against those wicked persons who do that. It doesn't matter. Death is not a big deal. You'll realize that when it happens to you. <laughs> those who die as martyrs, I don't think they would change a thing. I don't think they would. They would thank God, in fact. And he did minister many things unto them, and all of them cannot be written, and a part of them would not suffice. Therefore, they are not written in this book. Well, where are they written then? Well, of course, not on the small plates of Nephi, but on the large plates of Nephi, from which Mormon took his account. And no doubt they will come forth in a future day when we qualify to receive those things, because today we are still under condemnation for taking these things lightly. And Nephi did minister with power and with great authority, because he didn't just have authority, but he had power because of his righteousness. 
power comes with righteousness. It's one thing to have authority. It's not enough. It came to pass that they were angry with him even because he had greater power than they. For it were not possible that they could disbelieve his words, for so great was his faith on the Lord Jesus Christ that angels did minister unto him daily. So he had greater power than they did. They couldn't stand that. And you see people today that, like the scribes and Pharisees, saw Jesus' power, the power of the apostles. And they were the chosen servants of God, so to speak, right? In their day. And the same thing with the early Christian period. And the same thing in the end time. The authorities of the day always persecute the elect. They find ways to do it. Came to pass that they were angry with him, etc. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he did cast out devils and unclean spirits. And even his brother did he raise from the dead after he had been stoned and suffered death by the people. So that too is what we can do. And Spencer sees it all. 3 Nephi 17. It came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of praying, this is to the Nephites in his appearance to the Nephites after his resurrection, praying unto the Father, he arose, but so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. I consider this, they were overcome because of his sheer presence and the power and the love that they felt emanating from him and his glory. It came to pass that Jesus spake unto them and bade them arise. And they arose from the earth, and he said unto them, Blessed are ye because of your faith. Because these were the ones who were exercising faith that he could come unto them, right? These were the more righteous of the Nephites, so they had heard the prophecies, and if they had not been exercising faith that Jesus could come or would come, then he wasn't going to. And the same in his second coming. And the same in his first coming, there were those who believed the Messiah was, was coming. And of the prophetess, right, at the temple. My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Now I can go to death in peace. Others. Because of your faith, as Moroni said, the Lord does nothing except people exercise faith that he can do something. Now behold, my joy is full. And when he had said these words, he wept. And the multitude bare he was weeping for joy. And he took their little children one by one and blessed them and prayed unto the Father for them. And when he had done this, he wept again, and he spake unto the multitude, and said unto them, Behold your little ones. And as they looked to behold, they cast their eyes toward heaven, and they saw the heavens open, and they saw angels descending out of heaven, as it were, in the midst of fire, with a cloudy pillar, and they came down and encircled those little ones about, and they were encircled about with fire, and the angels did minister unto them. And the multitude did see and hear and bear record, and they know that their record is true, for they all of them did see and hear, every man for himself, and they were in number about 2,500 souls, and they did consist of men, women, and children. Can this happen in our day? I assure you that it can not only happen, it will happen as we approach the coming of the Lord. It's given us as a type, as a hope, as a hope for our day, because Jesus is going to come in glory, he's also going to come individually to groups of people who are prepared to receive him individually before he comes in glory and this is a type and as President Benson said in the conference address that Jesus coming to the Nephites was a type of his second coming not only in his coming in glory but in his coming as he did here individually to people these were not all the Nephites 
19. So after Jesus has commissioned them, his 12 Nephite disciples, so Nephi starts ministering to the Nephites, and they go down to the water to be baptized. And he came up out of the water and began to baptize, and he baptized all those whom Jesus had chosen. And it came to pass that when they were all baptized and had come out of the water, the Holy Ghost did fall upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And behold, they were encircled about as if it were by fire. And it came down from heaven, and the multitude did bear witness of it, and did bear record. And the angel did come down out of heaven and minister unto them. It's when you have these kind of communities where the whole community is pure and holy and righteous, these things can happen. So it's really important that we ascend spiritually so we can qualify for these things. And at some point, the Lord will pull us out to where the entire community consists of people on the Zion level. And then these things will happen to us also. And there's no one among us that's not worthy of, of it, otherwise it couldn't happen to us as a group. It came to pass that while the angels were ministering unto the disciples, behold, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and ministered unto them. So that self is a pattern that Jesus comes on the heels of the ministering of those whom he has chosen, whether they be angels or apostles on the earth. And now we go to end-time ministries of angels from visions of glory. There will be angels among us, heavenly messengers, and miracles even greater than those that delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. Well, Hugh Nibley used to say that. I visited him a number of times near the end with a friend of mine, and he kept saying, soon angels are going to come among us. And this was before things are like they are now, where the world history is rapidly changing before our eyes, in this country, everywhere. And soon we're going to go through horrendous changes, very rapid changes, and people who are not primed to deal with them will not be able to deal with them. They'll stand still in confusion, not know what to do. So when he says this, miracles even greater than those that delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, yeah, because God's people are everywhere now around the earth. And in due time we'll have the Lord himself among us. The church will rise to the full glory of its calling and will be the prophetic voice of guidance we all follow as we close this great dispensation of the fullness of times. Because what's at the end of this dispensation? The kingdom of God, of course, which is instituted when the Lord comes in glory. Also from visions of glory. It may seem strange that we were changed. This is when they were translated, those who were ministering in the cause of Christ. But history is filled with stories of angels appearing in many forms, sometimes as old men or young women, or even a child's playmate. So these different personas have been going on forever. Whenever angels come, they can come in any persona that is necessary to talk to a child's level as a child or kind of a matronly woman whom the children can trust. It doesn't matter what it is, but they could not impersonate of the opposite sex, however. He makes that clear. But they come as any persona that's appropriate for that particular time period and ministry under those circumstances. Yet we know that angels are ageless, or not old or young, so they obviously come to us in the form that blesses us most. And that's the key. The only difference here was that we were now those angels. They were now those angels. Male angels always appeared as male, and females always appeared as females. 
but in any guise we were inspired to take. By studying each mission beforehand, I was fully aware of my next identity and was prepared to minister in that way. When I returned to my temple office, I was myself again. I never had to go to change, bathe, or rest. Because now they're on that translated level. So different from now. And this is why after he had these visions, his whole thinking, everything had to get reoriented to what was coming from what he had been conditioned to believe and to assume and to get used to and accustomed to in this celestial world up to that time. And even in his professional career, he completely lost the desire to pursue his professional career according to the Babylonish model that nearly everybody's following. And his friends taught him weird, and they still do. And that's part of his descent phase. Sometimes I was sent through the portal to a time that was earlier than the present time in Zion. Remember? Because you know, on the uh, translated level, there's no time. Back, forward, past, present, it's all here, in the here and now. So this is not strange. I went back to answer prayers, to fulfill promises, to keep covenants, or to adjust some past event in the lives of those to whom I ministered. Sometimes I spent long periods of time on a mission, even months and years, but when I returned to Zion, I returned just a few minutes later than when I left. And if you've ever had these kind of spiritual experiences to where you go to another spiritual level, you know that the time on that spiritual level is different than your time. Like celestial time, one day is like a thousand years to telestial time. So a thousand years of terrestrial time in the millennium is going to be many times a thousand years of telestial time, and so forth. So if you've had those experiences, and I've had such, it seemed like I was gone for a long, long time, but it was just a few seconds. You come back to present reality, the lower spiritual levels you minister to, the slower time is. And the higher levels you ascend to, the shorter time is. So if you're on this highest level, you're ministering down here, it can be months and weeks and years, and yet up there on that celestial level, it's just a few seconds, like he says here, or minutes. Because all time is a construct. It's an entrapment. It's an altered state. It's virtual time, so to speak. Virtual reality. What I'm alluding to is that when we learn to utilize the portal fully, it was limitless in power. But we have to learn to use it properly. It gave us godlike attributes because we were acting in his name. And he invested us with his power to fulfill his express will and command. So it has to come from him. It's not from him. We have no authority. I could expand on that a little bit, but I'm not going to. As I have been promised in many scriptures, we were beginning to receive all things which the Father has, and one of those things was this great grand power of the portals. And all things that the Father has is manifold. But this is one of the things. Another unexpected result of this use of time as a tool was that when my visions of these things ended, my mortal mind could not contain the complexity of what I had seen. This is when he comes out of his near-death experience. And I forgot many of the details. However, while in the vision, it was simple to comprehend and to execute. The constant companionship of the Holy Ghost made it impossible to forget some detail or to make an error or omission by forgetting to do something. And he also says in another place that they could not fail in their ministries. They could not fail because they had acquired that spiritual level and, and they were given specific commissions 
and they knew they could fulfill them, and they did. Second Nephi 28. This is Mormon speaking about the three Nephites. Behold, I was about to write the names of those who were never to taste of death, like John the Revelator. They desired to bring souls to Christ as long as the world should stand, but the Lord forbade. Therefore I write them not, for they hid from the world, all because their name is also sacred. But behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me. And behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles shall not know them. Why not? Because they come under different personas, like Spencer sees. They will also be among the Jews, and the Jews shall not know them. And it shall come to pass, when the Lord seeth fit in his wisdom, that they shall minister unto all the scattered tribes of Israel, including the ten tribes, and the Lamanites, and unto all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, because the mission on that level is international, and shall bring out of them unto Jesus many souls, that their desire may be fulfilled, and also because of the convincing power of God which is in them, because all translated beings have this convincing power. That's why you cannot withstand their convincing power. You cannot withstand their teachings. Nobody can withstand it, because they're so based in truth they see right through you, they see your past, they see your thinking, they see everything about you. Just like Moses saw every creature, the brother Jared saw every creature, they can see your thoughts, they can see everything about you. They can perfectly judge you in, in righteousness. And they are as the angels of God. Well, yes, because they're on that translated level. They can minister between the worlds. Like Elijah or like Enoch. And if they pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus, they can show themselves unto whatsoever person that seemed them good, because they know that they can pray and the Lord will answer their prayer, just like John the Revelator and Nephi the son of Helaman. They will not pray for that which is untoward, not proper. Therefore great and marvelous works shall be wrought by them before the great and coming day when all people must stand before the judgment seat of God. Great and marvelous works, so you know that they're going to be an integral part of the end time scenario. Them and other translated beings who are still around also, who pertain to this world, as the prophet Joseph Smith said, to this planet. So they can come as personas, or they can come in their true character as servants of the Most High God. Right? Moroni 7. Christ has said, if you will have faith in me, you shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. And that's what these translated people are doing. Everything they do is expedient in him. They've gotten to that point that they are capable of doing that and are doing it in every respect. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And Spencer has things to say about that because, and so does Jesus about the three Nephites that their joy will be full as his joy is full, and that their glory is greater than all other glories, and it's the highest degree that a man can reach and a woman in this mortality. And he hath said, Repent all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, and have faith in me, that ye may be saved. And now, my beloved brethren, if this be the case, that these things are true, which I have spoken unto you. He's doing this in all earnestness, because... He's signing off, almost. And God will show unto you with power and great glory at the last day that they are true. And if they are true, has the day of miracles ceased? 
Because he sees our day and he says, yeah, mostly. Or we pretend that something is a miracle and it's not really a miracle in the definition of the Old Testament or the New Testament or the Book of Mormon. Yet we pretend we have those same gifts still. Or has he withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them? Or will he, so long as time shall last, or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man upon the face thereof to be saved? Behold, I say unto you, nay, for it is by faith that miracles are wrought. And as we read before in the Book of Mormon, that no man can do a miracle save he has cleansed every whit of his iniquity. And that means a perfect sanctification beyond the terrestrial or saved state to a sanctified and perfected state of just men made perfect on a celestial level. And not until then. And it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto men. Not just faith in Jesus Christ when you accept the gospel, but this is continuing faith, stronger faith, faith like unto the brother of Jared. Right? To that degree who could not be kept from within the veil. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, woe, or covenant curse, be unto the children of men, for it is because of unbelief, and all is vain. Like now, right? And getting worse. For no man can be saved according to the words of Christ, save there shall have faith in his name. In his name? Yes, in everything he stands for. And the potency of that name and using his name to do miracles. I mean, when you can do miracles on that level, you know there's something very wonderful going on. It's not you. It's Christ. And he's simply just using you as an instrument. Wherefore, if these things have ceased, then hath faith ceased also. To that degree, an awful is the state of man for they are as though they had no redemption been made. No redemption made. So in other words, if we don't reach this goal, in the end, having been given so much, and we haven't utilized our gift and magnified it, we're going to come under condemnation. And that which we had will be taken away from us. As it says, as we've quoted, those who are not saviors will be assaulted as lost as savior. Those are the two choices we as Ephraimites have. Matthew 13. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and entered the house, and the disciples came to him and said, Tell us about the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So they're coming, whether we like it or not, right? Just as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who transgress. They will cast them into the furnace of fire, where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever seen wailing and gnashing of teeth? I haven't. But I can imagine what that would look like. It's something pretty awful. In pain, in horrendous pain, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Because they know that they blew it. They know that it's everlastingly too late. And they're going to suffer this pain for however long, for an eternity. 
Then will the righteous shine forth like the sun because the angels also minister to them and he gathers them up too. In the kingdom of their father, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. You have to read between the lines. You have to have ears to hear beyond just the words. You have to make the connections. You have to search, put two and two together. Hearing with the ears to hear is not just assuming that you hear. Matthew 24. As the lightning comes from the east and shines even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Yes, that can be for both good and evil, right? The wicked will be consumed on the one hand, and the elect will be gathered together also, and the angels are like eagles. So the, the eagles can be both for good and for evil. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from the heavens and the power of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Learn now a parable of the fig tree, and its branch is yet tender and puts out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So likewise, when you see these things, you'll know that it is near at the very doors. So, Spencer gives a great view of this in the book, Visions of the Glory. It's kind of breakdowns of how these things come to pass. Revelation 7. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So the destruction is held off until something happens. And what is that? And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. So the seal of the living God is the seal of the Father, because they're sealed with the names of the fathers on the foreheads, which categorizes these 144,000 as angels on a translated level the level of seraphim, or those who have the spirit and power of Elijah. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the seas and the earth and the seas, and said, Hurt not the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, because they're going to be hurt, until we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the people of Israel. And that's what Spencer sees. DNC 77 Question, what are we to understand by the angel ascending from the east? Revelation 7, chapter 2, verse. Well, we see that angel from the east in the book of Isaiah also, and it's the Lord's servant who prepares the way for the second coming of the Lord. Chapter 41, verse 2, chapter 46, and all through Isaiah, the angel from the east who personifies righteousness. It's a person who performs a mission on the earth. He doesn't come back from before to perform a mission it's a person born on the earth who performs a mission in this day and age. And don't ask me who he is. I don't go there and I don't know who it is. Answer. We are to understand that the angel ascending from the east is he to whom is given the seal of the living God over the twelve tribes of Israel. Wherefore he cries unto the four angels having the everlasting gospel saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come together together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. Elias spoken of in the New Testament by Jesus. 
and of whom John the Revelator is a type because John's mission when he ate the little book was also an end time mission like unto the servant's mission. And John there is a perfect type of that servant. And not only of that servant but of all the 144,000 servants. So to say that this servant is John the Revelator and is coming back is totally wrong. It doesn't make any sense at all because it's not part of the Lord's pattern that that's the way it works. You don't come back to perform a mortal mission where you're being marred and need a miracle of healing. You cannot mar a translated being. I mean, it's so simple, but some people just don't get that. And they publish it, and then they have to stand by what they publish, and yeah, it just gets more and more complicated as they sow confusion in the minds of people. Dr. Kevins, 103. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power, or the day of power. Wherefore, I will raise up unto my people a man, not a translated being from the past, who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. So he's a new Moses. That's what Isaiah's servant is. A new Moses, a new, lots of others, heroes of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham, and ye must be need, least be led out of bondage by power with a stretched out arm. Out of bondage, yes. Bondage is now being implemented in this land. Go on the internet to the conservative sites and see every day something is being implemented to take away our freedoms. And see who's behind it all. See who's doing it. It's being done so methodically and so rigidly. So you cannot undo it anymore. It's too late. It's in your face almost. But here is the scripture. But the Lord also has an antidote to that, and that is his servant, who is, in Isaiah, the arm of the Lord that's going to be revealed and empowered. And as your fathers were led at the first, that's under Moses, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore let not your hearts faint, in spite of everything around you that's going on. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, mine angels shall go up before you, the one we read about in the book of Exodus, but not my presence, because the Lord did not himself accompany them because of the hardness of their hearts to the promised land. But I say unto you, my angels shall go out before you, many angels, wow, 144,000 of them, and also my presence, because we will see the Lord just as he appeared to the Nephites and others in the past. And in time you shall possess the goodly land. So we receive lands of inheritance in that millennial age, that will pass to us as a covenant blessings that will not be transferable and will not be sold. And that way we will gain inheritances with Christ in Zion in the millennial age.